Happy resurrection, guys. It's a good day. Um, it's a great day for us to gather together. Thank you, Lindsay. That was just what I needed. I hope it was what you guys needed as well. It was interesting as we're singing those songs about the resurrection and our risen Savior, some words were popping up like hope and light of life. And you will see those phrases popping up. Uh, throughout the message here this morning. We're going to do something a little bit different here this morning. Uh, What I wanted to do, the question is this, why does there need to be a resurrection? I mean, right, the crucifixion, right, dying in our place on the cross, the blood is shed, put into the ground. Why is the resurrection so important? Now, I would say that most of us understand and agree that the resurrection is important, but we might not know exactly why the resurrection is important. What does the resurrection have? Have to teach us, and is it really, is it really, really important in the full plan of God that Jesus is resurrected from the grave? So, what we're going to do, we're going to do a journey here this morning. You guys know I like to do some journeys sometimes. And we're going to go through the Old Testament, and we're going to, we're going to look at five Old Testament saints, and we're going to see if the, if the resurrection pops up anywhere in the Old Testament. Because I think after we're done this morning, you might be able to say the resurrection is not just a New Testament concept, but it was always what God was showing the prophets to look for, to long for. And then the prophets, the men that we see here in the Old Testament, they're going to explain to us exactly what it was that they were hoping for. I want you guys to note that as we have been going through Acts on Tuesday nights, that uh, in in all of the speeches, whenever the uh, apostles say Peter or, or Paul, gets a chance to preach to a group of people, guess what one subject is always the center of their preaching? It is always the resurrection, the resurrected Lord. Um, So as we join in together here, we're going to be hitting a lot of scriptures, but I went ahead and did a little extra legwork. You guys are going to get a PowerPoint production here this morning, so you don't have to rifle and try to find all those verses. And then we have the uh, the same translation as well. Well, uh, let's go ahead and start with, let's go ahead and start with Job. Now, you guys know, you guys know Job, right? He was having a really hard time in life. Just, uh, it was just crushing. It was heavy upon him. Everything was being taken from him. Uh, and he had some friends who were on the scene. And uh, his friends were kind of at some point giving him some bad counsel. Uh, one of them later on kind of gives him some good counsel in regards to God. But you guys know Job's situation, right? Uh, even his wife said, you know, just give it up, honey, and just die, right? Uh, I, was, I was pleasantly surprised at how much Job speaks about the resurrection and his future life with God. It just it blew my mind. As a matter of fact, these are, we've got about five slides to go through uh, more than any other. But let's go ahead and look and see what Job has, uh, Job has to say about this. In Job 14, verses 14 and 15, Job says, if someone dies... Will they live again? It's a good question. All the days of my hard service, I will wait for my renewal to come. You will call and I will answer you. You will long for the creature that your hands have made. There's a lot of interesting things going on right there in chapter 14 uh, of Job. The first thing that I want you to note about Job here, so you're basically going to have five main points of all of this. The first main point is that the resurrection is going to show God's solution or his power over sin. 
It's going to resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus is going to show God's power over sin or his solution uh, to our sin. Job asks a very interesting question. If somebody dies, will they live again? Job understands something about death. Death, in a sense, has a permanency. Okay? Now, I want you guys to note this. Everybody is eternal. Every life is eternal. We will either go on to live an eternal life or an eternal what? An eternal death. But why death is permanent when we die out of these, when these physical bodies die? What is permanent about that that Job understands is man no longer will have an opportunity once he dies to petition God regarding his sin. He will never, ever again be able to go to God and say, God, we need to, I need to have something done with my sin. That's why it's so important, right? That's why we encourage people. You got to know the Lord before you're taken out of this place, uh, because after that, you'll be standing in front of him for judgment. You won't get to do a, a, a backseat or a do-over or uh, edit undo in any regards to that. So Job understood that death is permanent in the sense that someone dies, they're no longer can and petition God regarding their sin. The second thing to note here is this. Um, Look what Job says, I will wait. I'm going to wait for my renewal. Um, There is nothing that Job could do about his sin. Agreed? Is there anything that we can do about our sin? There's nothing we can do. Job understood that if anything could be done, it would come out of God. It would have to come from God and God's will to be able to do it. That's why he says, I have to wait for my renewal. It's something he couldn't attain, but he understood that there was something that God was looking to give to mankind and to present to mankind in regards to his sin. Job also makes this mention to us, you will long, speaking to God, for the creature that your hands have made. I don't know if you've ever noticed this phrase before in Bible, but isn't it absolutely amazing? Because it's confirming to us, Job is speaking to us, that God has this desire to be with his creation. And Job is written, he's the first book, it's the oldest book that we have in Scripture, and it's amazing that he had this kind of insight and understanding what God was trying to do in the lives of men. He knew that sin would separate and would keep us apart, but that God had this desire to restore fellowship. Let's look at Job chapter 16, verses 19 uh, through 21. He says, even now my witness is in heaven. My advocate is on high. My intercessor is my, what's that word say? Friend. By the way, who's the witness, who's the advocate, and who's the intercessor here he's speaking of? We know him as Jesus. My intercessor is my friend as my eyes pour out tears to God over his sin. On behalf of a man, this one, this intercessor, this witness, this advocate, he pleads with God as one pleads for a what? For a friend. Job understands. It is amazing the insight, the illumination that God had given Job, right? We're talking, this is thousands of years ago. He didn't have a, a course that he could go take about, uh, about eternal life or heaven or God or anything like that. He didn't have any commentaries that he could turn to. He couldn't pull up a book by Warren Wearsby and find out the deeper truths of all these things like we do. But here he has this understanding that he already has an intercessor in heaven that's pleading on his behalf. And I love the phrase how Job says it. He's interceding for me as one who intercedes what? 
for a friend. And I have to say, if you have a person who loves you and wants you to be set free, or you just have a guy that's being paid to represent you, which one do you think is going to work the hardest for you? It's going to be the one who loves you and wants you to be set free. I have it noted like this. Although sin has separated us from God, Job has realized that he has a friend pleading and interceding on his behalf, not to allow sin uh, to be victorious and keeping Job from God's presence. So he knows that there's an intercessor, one that is already working on his behalf, that is going to deal effectively with this sin issue that is separating man from God. Because what does God want? God wants that relationship. He wants that fellowship. Job chapter 19, verses 26 and through 27. He says, after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. A couple things to note here about these two verses. Job's speaking of a resurrection here. He says, after my skin has been destroyed, I am yet going to see God. How? In my, what does he say? In my flesh, I will see God. Job here is speaking about a resurrection, right? Has anybody been resurrected in the world? Or has anybody probably even been talking about resurrection up to the time of Job? And the answer would probably be no, right? But Job comes on the scene, and here Job is speaking, right? This is Old Testament Saint Job speaking about a resurrection, and probably a good four, somewhere 4,000 plus, where I should say 3,000 years away, uh, 2,500 to 3,000 years away from it ever becoming a reality. And I have it noted like this, that a decaying body in the grave, it can't stop the power of God from resurrecting that body. Do you guys remember, by the way, I think it is Mark gives us this account. It's the only one of the four gospel that does at the resurrection. When Jesus was resurrected from the grave, do you remember what was happening to the graves, the graves in the area outside of Jerusalem? Do you remember what was happening? Do you remember what scripture says there? It's the only account. The graves are being opened and people were coming out of their graves, and they were going into the city of Jerusalem, being a witness to the resurrecting power of our God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to note something here. He's not only speaking about a resurrection, but I want you to take note of his heart, okay? His heart, he says, it yearns within me. Note Job's heart focus here, guys. He's not focusing on his horrible situation. What's his situation, right? We know what his situation is, right? His kids are gone. His wealth are gone. All of that's been taken from him. Now he's just sitting around. Not only on top of that, he's got these sores that are covering his body. His wife's telling him to just die. She's tired of hearing it. His friends are like, dude, you really ticked off God somehow, right? And there just seems to be nothing left in all this. And you know, you know what Job says in the light of all this? In the, in the horrible circumstances, did he create these circumstances by the way? He didn't have anything to do with it, right? 
This is Satan being able to have his way with Job. But I want you guys to know in the midst of all of the junk that's going on in his life, he says, what my heart is longing for is to be with you. I long to see you one day. And I tell you that this is, a, this is an important key to a successful Christian walk is what you are longing for. If you're longing for things of this world, you will never find satisfaction. It'll be a word that comes up here in just a little bit with David. But if you're longing for the king, kingdom of heaven, if you're longing to see him and to be with him, it, all of these things become dim in comparison. And this is where your joy is. This is where your hope is. This is where your foundation is. This is where your security is. It's all in him. We can't find those things in anything in this world. And Job is trying to explain that to us, to keep our eyes fixated and our hope on, on a resurrection, on the resurrection power of God. Job 33, verses 28 through 30, Job says, God has delivered me from going down to the pit. Oh, well, and I shall live to enjoy the light of life. That was a phrase that we were singing in a song earlier. God does all of these things to a person twice, even three times to turn them back from the pit that the light of life may shine on them. Two interesting phrases here, the light of life shining on us and, and being turned back from the pit, right? Isn't that amazing? Um, uh, Ezekiel, when we were finishing up Ezekiel and some of the bad kings like of Egypt, uh, they were talking about that those kings were going to go down to the pit where all the other evil kings were down in the pit, right? And we're talking about, we're talking about hell right here that Job is saying. But I want you to note what Job is saying. God has delivered me. Isn't that interesting? He's already speaking of a work that he understands that God has already accomplished on his behalf. Isn't that absolutely amazing? Guys, this is an Old Testament saint. This is how much he understands the resurrecting power of our Heavenly Father and his desire to deal effectively with our sin to bring us into close connection with him. Remember, this guy didn't have any resources to go study these things. This is, this is coming from him sitting with the Lord and the Lord imparting these truths and understandings to him. I want you to note that Job lived with confidence that God had already secured the way for mankind to escape the grip of hell. The lamb was slain, right, before the foundations of the world, Scripture tells us. That this plan, God's plan, was already, already accomplished before Adam and Eve ever even hit the ground running, right? And Job understood these things. So the first thing to note on our, on our list of five here is that the resurrection shows that God has power over sin. By the way, I do have this on a PowerPoint, um, and you can request that from me. Um, don't do it during service, but after service would be better. God has, God, the resurrection has shown us that God's power over sin. Now we want to jump to another fella. Um, he actually comes after uh, Job, but his writings come before Job. We're going to talk about, uh, or we're going to talk about this man as Abraham and what is written about him. Uh, in Genesis 22, 7 and 8, and this is an all-familiar passage, 
And it's amazing sometimes that people don't understand what's happening on this mountaintop. This is the Moriah mountain chain. This is also the same mountain chain that Jerusalem um, sits upon. And God tells Abraham, I want you to go take your son, your only son, and sacrifice. Give him up for me. Give him to me. And Abraham says, I will trust you, God, no matter what, and I will do it. In Genesis 22, verse 7, Isaac says, this is his son. But where is the lamb, right? We have the wood, we have the fire, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Abraham had an understanding that anything that is going to be done, it always has to be done by the power and by the strength of God. And Abraham is taking his son here, and Abraham is willing to go through with this because Abraham understands something about God. And in verse 19, uh, Hebrews uh, eleven nineteen, it tells us this. Now we're over in the Hebrews 11 is the what? The hall of faith chapter, right? Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. So in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac, what? Back from the dead. Our number two on this list right here is going to show that the resurrection, when Jesus is resurrected, it shows God's power over death. The first one that we said is that the re- when Jesus is resurrected, it's going to show God's power over sin, his almighty power over sin. Now we're going to see through Abraham, Abraham understands God has power to raise the dead. And does he? Absolutely. Say it like you know it. Okay, okay. I want you guys to note here that Abraham reasoned that God could bring someone back from the dead to fulfill his promise. And that's why Abraham, he's, what he's understanding is God said that, that through Isaac, right, that the blessing's going to come uh, through Isaac. So if Isaac dies, the blessing still has to come through him. So God must, if he allows him to die, God can raise him from the dead because he still has to fulfill his promise that he has made. Second thing is this, is that Abraham understands that the sacrifice would not eventually come from man, but that the sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice, is going to be provided by who? By Jehovah, right? It says this back there in Genesis 22, 7, God himself will provide the lamb. That little banner over there in the middle, Jehovah Jireh, it says provides on it right next to Sam. That is where right after this, Abraham says, and in this place, God has provided. And that's where we get that name for God, that it is Jehovah Jireh, that he is the God who provides. So number two on our list is that when the resurrection happens, we'll show God's power over death. Number three is this. We're going to go over to the man, David, and he has some great stuff to write about this. Number three, David, Psalm 16, verses 10 and 11 says, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. Talking, speaking once again about uh, about hell there, nor, or Hades, uh, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. He makes a distinction between himself and this other person. One, he says, is faithful. You make known to me the path of life, and you will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Now, we know, David, that he, we, we sometimes 
to the forefront of our minds comes all of David's mistakes, but, but his mistakes were much less. He had fewer mistakes than he had victories in the Lord. And after all, David was a man that, what did God proclaim about him? There is a man who is what? He's after my heart, right? Go back to Job, longing for the Lord, longing for the Lord. And so he says this, because you will not abandon me. David here is proclaiming to us, right? He's saying this to God, but he wants us to understand that God has a plan. As I taught the kindergartners back a year ago, God has a big old plan, right? God has a big old plan for our lives. David understood this idea of resurrection and this eternal life being with God, right? Um, Because you will not abandon me and God has a big old plan. He says this, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. Now, David here is giving us the understanding that God has a faithful one. Could David say that he is a faithful one in the sense of, you know, had that perfect life? And the answer is no. He hasn't fulfilled everything and done everything that God had called him to exactly as God had wanted it. But here David is giving this this glimpse. And in other areas in Psalm, David's uh, in the Psalms, David is going to start explaining to us a Messiah a savior who is going to come. And, and we have this understanding growing um, uh, throughout his writings there that there will be another. I have it noted like this. David is an unfaithful person, um, but God is still going to save him. And how he's going to save him is through the faithful person is going to be the one that saves him. He also says this, you will not let your faithful one see decay. You guys have probably heard this quoted in in the New Testament, right? You've heard this quoted in areas of scripture. um, And it's saying this, that although the Messiah would would die, right? And that's what it's saying. You won't let him see decay, right? Although he will die, um, death would be defeated in and through him. Remember, and that's what we've been saying as we've been going through, uh, through Acts, is that God proved Jesus to be the Messiah when God raised Jesus from the dead, okay? All of these are proofs. Uh, what we're going through here, and number three, by the way, is that from David, we learn that the resurrection is going to reveal who the Messiah actually is, right? That's how we know that Jesus is the Messiah, and we have it fulfilled whenever God raises him from the dead, and Scripture says that God accredited Jesus, right? He accredited him to be the savior of the world when God raised him um, from the dead. We have one more here from David in Psalm 17 and 15. And he says, as for me, I will be vindicated and I will see your face when I awake. I will be satisfied with seeing your likeness. Isn't it amazing all these things that these prophets in the Old Testament are proclaiming about God, about, you know, resurrection life, about that they understand their sin issue, but they also understand that God wants to have a relationship with them. And they understand through the power of the Holy Spirit, they've come to an understanding that for them to have a relationship with God, it has to be based fully upon God's work. And that's why David says, I will be vindicated, right? Or I will be vindicated. Um, That word means righteousness or righteous. Remember how in the last verses it says, and your righteous one, right, will not see 
Um, your faithful one will see decay is what it says here. Here, David talks about that God is going to put him into the position of righteousness. And you guys know what righteousness by definition is, right? To be right with God. He says, I will be in that day. There will come a time when I will be deemed to be right with God. And here he uses a future tense. I will be, this will happen in my life. So David is talking about past actions that have been completed and he's talking about his hope and future actions that have not yet been fulfilled in his life. I want you to note that David's hunger, just like Job's, David's hunger in this world was to be with God. That's what he's saying here. When I awake, I'm going to see your face, right? I'm going to see your likeness. His hunger in this world was to be with God. Although this could not be satisfied here in his unrighteous condition, one day this desire will disappear. Um, This desire would disappear as he has seen the Lord face to face. And it's saying this, he has this insatiable desire. He can't be satisfied here to see the Lord. But one day when he sees him face to face, that desire to see the Lord, it will be fulfilled. It will be satisfied, right? And he uses that word or that phrase, I will be satisfied. Think about it right now, guys. You may not even realize it, but what you're hungering for in life is him. But you, don't, you may not even recognize it yet. You may not have that, that, that angst or that, um, uh, that feeling deep down inside that just can't quite top you off. You know how when you're just a little bit hungry, right? And it's just, just kind of going and going and going. That's what David's talking about here. There's something in his life that he feels that, uh, that should be satisfied, but he understands that it can't. And guys, you know what? For us right now, That same kind of hunger, if the Holy Spirit is inside of you, that same kind of hunger is there. But what we often do is this. We look to other things. We may not recognize what that really is, but we look to other things in this world to try to satisfy that hunger. And let me say, not even a Snickers can do it, right? Maybe those thin, maybe those thin, uh, uh, what are those things called? Reese's peanut butter. Those come closer, but won't even come close to satisfying. Isn't it, isn't it interesting to see what these men of old, what their lives are really about? And then we look and say, well, what's my life about? And we're like, wow, there is like a chasm. We already know that there's a big chasm between us and Jesus, right? And just look at these men that we've been looking at here, right? Job and David and Abraham. And the success in their Christian walk, the reason why these these guys show up in Hebrews 11, the great hall of faith chapter, is because they came to a point in their life where they realized this is what life is about. It's about the Lord. And they started having this insatiable hunger and craving and desire for all things godly. They wanted to be consumed by the Lord, consumed by his presence, consumed by his power and his might, being directed by the Holy Spirit to do the will of God. And they were just overwhelmed with it. And let me encourage you here this morning. You may be finding, you may be looking to a lot of different things in this world. You may be even thinking people can satisfy what you feel is unsettled or unset in your heart, and it can't do it. There's no way that it can be done. You yourself cannot even satisfy. It's only the Lord. And you know what he does to satisfy us today? He takes his Holy Spirit, and where does he put it? He puts it inside of us. 
And then we begin to get a taste of the satisfaction that is to come. Number three, through David, we learn this, that the resurrection is going to be that which reveals our Messiah. And you can note that he is our satisfaction. He will satisfy that which we long for more than anything. Number four, our man Hosea. Boy, did he have a dysfunctional life too, right? Talk about a dysfunctional family going on there. Mom keeps going back to prostitution, right? Or his wife keeps going back to prostitution. Uh, They end up do having uh, some children there. Um, Number four, Hosea is going to show us just the resurrection is going to show just how much God loves us. When Jesus comes out of the grave, it is showing us how much the extent of God's love for us. Now, this is a story, Hosea, is particularly about the nation of Israel. And we're in Hosea 6.2 and then in 13 and 14. Um, this is a story primarily about God's love for Israel, but it does go ahead and transcend and it co- covers over uh, all of humanity. And I want you to know here, it's an interesting phrase coming up here, Hosea 6.2, after two days, he will revive us, and on the third day, he will what? Restore us. That we may what? live in his presence. Now, let me tell you a little bit of background about what's going on in Hosea. Israel is completely idolatrous. They have completely turned their backs to God, okay? Hosea's wife, uh, she's, uh, um, she keeps leaving him. Um, she's going in basically into prostitution, and then God is telling Hosea to go back and get your wife and not even go get her, but what does he have to do to get her? He has to buy her back out of that. Now, that is a whole picture for us of how you have God, the righteous one. That's where Hosea is standing in that position. And the unfaithful wife, uh, Hosea's wife is unfaithful, right? And that's speaking of Israel. And Israel has completely turned their back to God, right? To the point that she's, she's a runner, guys. She just keeps doing it over and over and over again. Um, but God tells Hosea, I want you to go after her. And the purpose of that is to paint a picture of God's unending love, right? That he is going to go and go and go, and he's going to go all the way till the end, right? And he's never going to give up. He never gives up, right? He keeps pursuing us. Um, We're supposed to note that even in the rebellion of Israel towards God, and this is a great rebellion, guys, This is they have completely abandoned God. They have completely brought in, they're trying to satisfy their lives with all of the pagan gods that are represented around them. And then they say this, well, God doesn't even care about us, right? We saw that when we were studying through Ezekiel. The people are like, God doesn't even care about us at all, right? They're the runners, right? But yet God says, I still have a plan. And there in Hosea 6, 2, I'll read it again. After two days, he will revive us, and on the third day, he will restore us, that we may live in his presence. So even at this time, right, we're talking this is five to six hundred years before Jesus even comes on the scene. God is telling Israel through the prophet Hosea that his love is greater than their disobedience. His love is greater than their idolatry. His love is greater than anything that they can do. And God actually tells Hosea, there will be a time when I restore Israel to me, 
Next week, Lord willing, we'll go ahead and finish up uh, Romans chapter 11. And at the end of Romans chapter 11, 9, 10, and 11 of Romans has been dealing God's relationship with Israel. And next week's study is where it says that all Israel will be saved. And it's linking back to this idea that God has a plan for the nation of Israel to bring them. And look, he'll revive us on the second day. uh, And on the third day, he's going to restore us unto himself. Uh, Chapter 13, verse 14 says this, I will deliver this people from the power of the grave. Speaking of resurrection, right? What a great hope that, that Hosea is telling the people. I will redeem them from death. What does redeem mean again? It means to purchase or to buy something back. God is saying, I will buy back my adulterous wife from death. Isn't that absolutely amazing? And guys, we're not just talking Israel here. We're talking about all of mankind. And then Hosea goes on to say, where death are your plagues and where, O grave, is your destruction? And you know something, a verse that is similar to this uh, written elsewhere. I want you to note um, Romans chapter 4, uh, 18 through 21. In Romans chapter 4, speaking about that which is dead, and what we're to understand from this is that Israel, they're a dead people spiritually, okay? They're dead. God sees them as dead. Hosea gives us hope by telling us that the depths of God's love, um, that in the depths of his love, he has a plan to resurrect us, to save us from death, but not only Israel, but all of mankind. And this is what somebody may say. And isn't this exactly what Paul has been dealing with in 9, 10, and 11 of Romans, especially in chapter, uh, chapter 11 of Romans? And he basically just says this in chapter 11 of Romans, has God rejected his people? That's 11.1. And then 11.11 says, has they stumbled so far as to fall beyond recovery, right? Can somebody reject God so much that he will no longer allow his plan to be upon them? And Paul says, God still has a plan. We can want to answer that question all we want, but the reality is this. God is going to do what God wants to do, right? And even in their great rebellion, God is going to, to save the nation of Israel. Even let me say against all hope. At this point, Israel in Hosea's day, they're just done. I mean, they are, they are done with God. They're completely given over. Somebody may come on the scene and say, there is no hope for you. And guys, it did look like that. It absolutely looked like that. Let me read to you about another man and what he did whenever the, the odds looked against him. It just didn't seem that things like this could happen. And that's Romans chapter 4, going back to Abraham. You don't have this uh, verse there, Alicia. Uh, verse 18, let me just read this 18 through 21. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. By the way, what's he trying to produce? A child, right? An heir. And that Sarah's womb was also dead. 
His body's dead physically to produce. Her body's dead physically to produce. There's no way that a 90 and 100-year-old person are going to produce an heir. It just doesn't make any sense. And against all hope, it says, Abraham and hope believed. Because God said, I'm going to do this work in your life. Verse 20 says, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promises of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Isn't that one of those great verses right there? What you and I are to understand is that when we, when we understand the resurrection, it's showing that God will fulfill, that his power is being unleashed. So number four with Hosea. Uh, the main point was is that when, when we see the resurrection, when Jesus comes up out of the grave, it's showing the depths of God's love for us. He's not going to let us go. Even though it looks dim, even though it looks dark, even though it looks like destruction has taken place, God will bring from the ashes, right? He's going to bring something that is beautiful out of that which has been destroyed. That's our man Hosea there. Let's do Ezekiel here. This is our fifth one here. Ezekiel, pretty simple. We studied through this not too long ago. Ezekiel 36 and 36 says this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. Anybody feel like you need a little something new in your life here this morning? God says, not only will I put something new in you, but I am going to, look at that there, what's he say? I'm going to remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Let me tell you, if you're struggling, if you're fighting, if you're just feeling like, like you just, you, you're not connecting with the Lord, you're not connecting with yourself, with the world, everything just seems to be out of control, right? Note what God wants to do in your life. He wants to take the old out, and he wants to put in something brand new, okay? He's not taking the old out, reconditioning it, and then giving you, right, a, a factory part, you know, that's been reconditioned. He's saying, I want to take out the old out of you. I don't know if you ever noticed that, that, you know, we often understand God gives us his Holy Spirit, he renews our heart, right, and all of that. But look at what Ezekiel is saying here. God, wants, God needs to cut out the yuck yuck, right? Hebrews will go on to tell us about the word of God is like a sword, right? that can go deep into, deep into the essence of who we are. And that is where God can go ahead and cut out, like a, a melon baller, right? Just goes in there and just takes that, just takes out that which is so limiting, that which just keeps us in the same stagnant feeling of defeated place, even as a child of God. And God can go right in there and take it out. Maybe this morning that's something you just need to ask the Lord to do. Say, Lord, I haven't been letting you take out the old yuck yuck. I want to let you do that here today in my life. I need you to do that so I can get up and so I can get on with what you desire for your son or for your daughter. I have it noted like this. If a man is going to have a relationship with God, it's going to require an upgrade. We're going to need some new, we're going to need some, need some new hardware. It will require an upgrade. Um, a dead spirit and a hard heart, it can't commune with God. Sometimes I wonder when people say, well, you know, I just, I don't have a desire for God. Uh, I don't feel like I can even pray. Todd doesn't feel like anything's getting through. I read the word, doesn't make any sense. And I wonder if that issue is more on God's end or if that issue is more on our end. 
Sometimes God goes a little quiet on us just to teach us to wait upon him. But I think I would say if my life is an indicator, I would say the, the, the issue is not on God's end. The issue is on my end. And that a dead spirit, a hard heart, sometimes I can allow a hardness of heart to come in and it can hinder what God is trying to do in my life. We can't commune with God like this, but God fixes this, right? He takes out the yuck and he's going to put in what is new. This is why it talks about washing with water, which is the word of God in this. We understand cleansing ourselves, right? And washing ourselves physically, right? And I appreciate that you guys, that you guys participate in that ritual at least on a daily basis. Um, but this is why what we're needing constantly, just that fresh inflow of just that, that spiritual washing, you know, coming through our lives, coming in and coming out, right? And that fresh inflow comes in, it does its work in our life, and then it wells up, bursting forth, right? It fills us up. We are, right, we are those vessels being filled up. It's cleansing us, washing us, and then bursting forth, right? Adding the people that are around us. Number five shows us this. What we're learning is this, is when the resurrection happens, It's telling us that the new covenant has begun. It has been initiated. The doors are opened up. I'll explain that here uh, in just a little bit longer. Um, Let me give you these here. Uh, These people that we're dealing with, right? Uh, We've got Abraham, we've got Job, we've got David, we have uh, Hosea and Ezekiel here. They were all looking forward to what God would do. Um, Let me read this to you over here out of Hebrews chapter 11. It says in Hebrews 11, 13, all these people, right? And Hebrews 11 is filled, right? Men and women, right? It's just filled with people of faith. And it says all of these people were still living by faith when they died. They didn't receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. Everybody on this side of the cross, right? Here's the cross. Everybody on this side of the cross, they were waiting in anticipation that God would save them from their sin, right? And they knew that they put it together. There's going to need be a need of a Messiah. This is going to be completely of the work of God. It's going to be a new heart, his spirit, a new spirit that is put within us. And it says this, they welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things that they're foreigners and strangers show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, meaning this world, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And then it goes on to speak about some uh, some more of the people who walked by faith right there. But what Ezekiel is showing us is that when the resurrection occurs, the covenant, it means that the covenant has been struck. It's an accepted deal of what's going on there. Our, our, last, um, our, our last slide here, uh, it's going to go through just basically. Um, I want you guys to note here, Abraham The resurrection is showing us God's power over death. Job, the resurrection is showing us God's power over our sin. David, the resurrection is showing that God's Messiah will save us, right? 
Um, Hosea is telling us that when we see the resurrection, it's showing how much God has love, the, the emphasis upon his love there. And then Ezekiel is saying that the resurrection is showing us that a new covenant has begun. Jesus spoke about this covenant, didn't he? The night before he was crucified, right? The day before he was crucified, um, or I should say the night before, the night that he was arrested, he was speaking of this covenant that was going to be established. And this covenant, right? Um, the first covenant that God established with man, he said this, do these things and you will live, right? It was it possible? No. What they were supposed to understand like these guys like Abraham and Job and later on down the line after the law came, you know, Ezekiel and David and, um, and, and, and the like. What they were supposed to understand is this is God's standard of righteousness and I can't meet it. Before the, the law was ever given, Job already came to this conclusion in his life. I can't do this. My sin weighs me down, but I'm going to put my faith in God that he is going to deal with my plan. Isn't that interesting? They just had this faith upon God that God was going to do it. That's the first covenant. And then we don't have a second covenant. We actually have a last covenant is what scripture says. And why it says a last covenant is because if it's the last covenant, there can be no more what? There's no more covenants, right? We have the first covenant and the last covenant. The first Adam... And then the last Adam, Jesus is the last Adam, Scripture would say. There won't be another to come. Well, the last covenant says this, trust me to save you from sin and the grave, right? The covenant, the two parties responsible to save us from our sin, right? To give us resurrection power in our lives that the grave does no longer hold us. Sin and death, it cannot hold us any longer. That's the whole picture of baptism, right? We go into the grave, the old man, the old flesh. Well, that can stay there, but we're coming up in a new creation and sin and death, the grave can no longer hold us. And that's what the, that's what the uh, baptism is signifying for us there. The last covenant says, trust me to save you from your sin and from the grave. And this covenant is now based, the first covenant was based between God and man. And how long did it take man to break it? Moses didn't even get off the mountaintop, right? Before they broke it. Throws the tablets down. We're ruined! Look how, look at what we've already done. The last covenant is made between what two parties? Between the father and the son. Between God and Jesus. And they have entered a covenant together to save us from our sin to defeat. Let's look at this. That covenant is going to show that God has the power over death. That covenant is going to show that God has the power over sin. That covenant says that it's going to be the Messiah that will save us. That's one half of that covenant keepers there. The covenant says this, how the depth of God's eternal love for us. And then when Jesus comes up out of the grave, it confirms all of those things for us of what God has done. We're free from sin and death. We're, we're, we know that this is all done by the Messiah. We feel the overwhelming love and the desire for the creator to be with his creation. And then when Jesus springs up out of that grave, it says the covenant is there. The covenant is open. The door is now open and a hand is extended. Nail-scarred hand, I might say. Just build the picture in your mind however you would like. 
and he's offering you grace. You don't deserve to take his hand and walk with him into the presence of his father. But he offers that to every single person. He opens up the door to every single person. And when the resurrection happens, what that is showing us is that that, this is how we can know that the covenant is real and that it is binding. Because this covenant is going to be sealed with blood. And whose blood is it? This is Jesus' blood. And why is that covenant now? We now know that it is real and it is binding. We also know that it's eternal because his blood is what? His blood is eternal. Amen? The resurrection. Maybe a little bit of a different approach for you than, you know, we, I would say most of us probably know the story, not downplaying the story of the grave and the women that were there and the men that were there. And I was reading through them last night and I like it whenever the angel told the women, well, don't you remember he told you that he would be arrested, that he would be crucified and that on the third day he'd be raised to life? And they're like, oh yeah. And I was looking for all of those uh, remembered passages. I was studying through the Bible of And they remembered that God said this, or they remembered that Jesus had said to them. May you just be encouraged here this morning, just looking at what God, this is all God's plan in your life. Every single person in this room, this is his plan for for you, to save you from your sin, to save you from death. By the way, you know the only currency that pays for sin? It's death. It's the only thing that can pay for your sin. And Jesus goes to the cross to pay that sin debt that you and I could not pay on our own. And you know what? If we had to go down to the grave, that grave would grab us and would not let go. But thankfully, by the power of God, our sin has been dealt with. And then sin has been dealt a crushing blow by God. And death itself in the grave has been dealt a crushing blow by our Heavenly Father. It brings us this morning... The night before Jesus was arrested, Jesus was speaking about this new covenant with his disciples. Something new has come. A new covenant, he told them, is being established, one in his blood. And basically, the covenant, it was going to be all bound up in his sacrifice. And that's how the deal, that's how this is going to be made, is that if he would sacrifice himself and shed his blood as God on our behalf, he could pay for our sin, the guilt of our sin, he could set us free. So that is, like Job was saying, that we could see God face to face. There will be a day that we will see him face to face. David says the same thing. Man, I just, my heart aches to get there. I can't wait to get there. And that's why he tells us, remember, remember what this is all about. It's all about me, he says. Don't let the world, don't let your situations, right? Uh, Be like a Job. Be like a Hosea. Don't let all the negative things that are going around, the hardships, don't let that steal the focus upon God and what he's wanting to teach you and pour into you and do in and through your life. So Jesus says, when you get together, remember me and what I have done. And he says, this bread here, it represents my flesh. My flesh that is, that is going to be torn apart is going to be sacrificed on the cross for you. I'm going to take your place. And then he took the cup and he says, this cup, it represents the blood of the covenant, my blood, that the new deal is about, the door is about to be opened. And once again, guys, when is that new deal door opened? That 
third day when he comes out of the grave, it says the covenant has been, it's been solid. It's been signed, it has been sealed, and it is eternal. And Jesus says, my blood will always keep you in the joy of my father. Let's stand. Long, long hop away from the Easter bunny, isn't it? Let me just give you a thought about this. I'll lighten this up just a little bit. Give you a thought about this. We should celebrate spring. God had his people celebrate spring, right? Nothing wrong with celebrating spring and new life, right? We see the grass. Isn't it so great to see the grass? There's only a few people in here that aren't happy. Brad's really not all that happy to see the green grass. He mows a lot of grass. But it's nice to get that grass out, isn't it? Right? The birds are out there, and you just see lots of little bunnies running around. You know, at least at our house we do. Thank the Lord for a new year, for a new spring. He had them celebrate the spring. He had them celebrate the fall, right? He had them celebrate his goodness and what he was doing. We lose some of that because we're not agrarian. We're not farmers, right? Like, like nations used to be thousands of years ago. When grass meant life, when blossoms on your tree that were there after the frost, it meant that you were going to have fruit that year for your family. When you had spring calves, come out and the joy of those i love seeing those little calves running around just like little kids running around they don't know what they're doing they're kind of out of control of themselves but it's just it's adorable right what a blessing that god has done don't discount thanking god for this spring that he has given us go ahead and separate it in your thankfulness for the power of his resurrection that is accomplished in Jesus and that he's now poured upon our lives and given everybody this wonderful opportunity. Just worship and be thankful to the Lord and watch and see what he can do with your life. And so, Father, we come to you as our almighty creator, God, all-sufficient, all-knowing, ever-present. And, Father, we bring our hearts before you this morning just with gratitude and praise, awe and wonder, Father, for why you would love us. Even in our difficulties and our rebellions against you, you still strive with us. You still chase after us. You're looking for us, waiting to embrace us. Father, we thank you for your unending love, your enduring love, your patience with us. And Father, we look forward to just the work that you desire and will will uh, complete in and through our lives. Father, let us be open to you. Let us allow you to remove that which needs to be removed and to put into us that which you desire to put in. Father, that we can be constantly washed by your word, constantly renewed over and over and over. And Father, I pray that we would be those wells that would be so filled up that you would come bursting forth out of our lives. We thank you for our Lord and for our Savior. We thank you for Jesus Christ and for what he has done on our behalf. And Father, may it be the joy of our lives as we live the rest of our days here in this world, 
looking, waiting, anticipating for him to come get us. And one day we will all see you face to face. Amen.